0: All right. Good morning, everybody. How are y'all doing today? Good.
1: Good.
0: Very good.
1: Good. Yes. Yes. Great. I'm looking
0: around, if we have any hunting widows, as they call them, but not, not really. Matt told me he had some meat in the crock pot or something like that. Unlikely story. Yeah. <laughs> um, but glad you guys are here, and uh, we've got a great study lined up here. I'm really excited about this, but I want to start. With uh, a little conversation for you to have at your table, or Becky, you can just talk amongst yourself. Um, <laughs> Becky, come
1: over here. That's right. enjoy How
0: do, how does your family celebrate Thanksgiving? How does your family celebrate Thanksgiving? Take a minute, talk at your table. How you guys celebrate Thanksgiving? I'll do
1: it. for punishment. You have to, right? Back in the day, when I said, there was a the I mean, sure. Even when the team was uh, born, you could yeah. tune in. Oh, yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, You know, it's like yeah. there's so much so so stress like you know, come into the kitchen, yeah. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, That's yeah. 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 true. That's a good idea. Yeah. So there'll be what, six of you or eight of you, or yeah. she drives still, with the yeah, we the, the family, um, on side, yeah. yeah, on the do Tibetan family on my dad's side. Anyhow, They all live together, so it's thirty people every So I don't think we're gonna make their thing are coming up from Colorado. So they're going to be coming up, up here. So we'll do something with them here. So I'm really thinking about, about $85. For I get $2 a moment. Right? Uh,
1: that's a lot. Of,
0: yeah, but they usually say I'm like a common person.
1: If so I have small peeps. Yeah. We're All right,
0: let's hear up. What do you guys... What do you guys got? I'm interested to hear what's the what's the strangest or most unique.
1: Yeah, yeah we're making sure our well.
0: menu right now. you ma- I'm glad to help. <laughs> I, have, I hear have, Arcadia has, uh, Yes, it will be supplemented. Oh gotcha.
1: my We have gluten yeah, free, vegan, vegetarian. Oh my goodness. Yeah. This is, yeah this is family meals in yeah. the 21st century, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah.
0: Good. Other others of you, what do you do for Thanksgiving? What do you what does your Thanksgiving look like in your family? Watch the Lions lose. Watch the Lions lose, uh, yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: Every year. What well, year? That, they have won a couple of times. I was saying to these guys, don't you miss the days when Barry Sanders was on the team? And then even when the team stunk, at least you could still watch Barry. But oh well. Anybody else? What what do you what do you do on this side of the room? What do you guys do? Uh, Our son
1: comes up with his family. Okay.
0: No, uh, turkey of course.
1: Yes. Church
0: on Wednesday night. Hey, there y'all. <laughs> there ding, 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 ding. Good answer. Now, everybody knows, uh, what is the best part of the Thanksgiving dinner?
1: Stuffing.
0: Stuffing. Correct answer is leftovers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> leftovers. <laughs> They're so ordinary and yet such a blessing. And today, we're starting the part of the worship service. that so we've been walking through, we're getting to the part that we call the service of the sacrament. And in the service of the sacrament, it's how God comes to us in an utterly ordinary kind of way, like leftovers. And yet through that ordinary meal, he blesses us in ways spiritual and eternal. So um, today we're going to get at just the first part of um, the the portion of the service, known as the preface and the sanctus and the benedictus, other cool Latin terms. Um, But as we walk through this, we'll be seeing how God gifts us through his simple food. Body and blood, bread and wine. All right, number two on your handout then as we dig into it. The sacrament goes by many names, <clears throat> excuse me, but at its essence, it is the mystery. The Greek word musterion got translated into the Latin as sacramentum. And so uh, the sacrament is essentially a mystery. The Eastern churches refer, well, we, where we say sacrament, they say the mysteries of baptism, the mystery of Lord's Supper. But at its essence, This sacrament is the mystery of Christ in our midst. So there's a lot of different names for the sacrament, what we call the sacrament of the altar, but also we call it Eucharist, which comes from the Greek word for Thanksgiving. Holy Communion, because it's about us communing with God and with one another. It's Lord's Supper, that's probably the most common one. Um, It's the, the meal that the Lord has prepared for us. Or especially among Roman Catholics, but also sometimes among Lutherans, just be referred to as the Mass, which actually comes from the Latin word missa, which just means to be sent, to go. Um, so all of those terms, did I leave anything out? Are there other words that we use or phrases that we use to describe communion? A lot of different terms. Sometimes it can be hard to keep up with them, but they all are pointing at the same thing. You know, they might have different kind of connotations, but they're all talking about the same, same thing this mystery of Christ among us through uh, simple bread and wine, which in, with, and under is his body and blood. And in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul says, this is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So a pastor is the man of the mysteries. Mm. say, I keep trying to push for that. It just hasn't really gotten any traction, but I like that. Stewards of the mysteries... Or Colossians 1.27 says, To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, or Christ among you, the hope of glory. So through his Holy Supper, Christ is present among us in, with, and under the bread and wine. Whether we call it the Eucharist, whether we call it Holy Communion, we're talking about the same gift, the same meal. All right. Questions about that or, or clarifications? I just want to get that out because sometimes we throw this around and it it can be kind of inside baseball, a little bit of jargon. So I just want to make sure if I use those different terms, I'm still talking about the same thing. Good? Great. They're so musical. So 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 It's such a great job in worship today, I thought. It was really good singing. Okay, so down to number three then. The next part, the next thing that happens in the worship service is what's called the preface. And you know the word preface because, you know, at the beginning of a book, right, there will often be a preface. Um, the preface literally just means words beforehand or things spoken beforehand. And this preface is an ancient dialogue between pastor and people. So this is where I'm, it happens other points in the service too, but where the pastor says, The Lord be with you and also with you. Oh, that makes my heart so happy. Or in the older version, and with thy spirit. I'm not sure I got that tone quite right, but um, with thy spirit. Both of those, it's uh, this, this dialogue where the, where the pastor is saying, in effect, the Lord be with you. And the um, mood of that is what's known as a subjunctive. And uh, English teachers love to talk about the subjunctive. It's gotten lost on the cutting room floor of grammar. But the idea is it's not the Lord is with you. It's more like a prayer in itself. May the Lord be with you. See, may the Lord be with you. And the congregation responds, and also with you, or and with thy spirit. It's this kind of mutual affirmation that God is present with us. Or it's a a prayer of God's presence with us. If I can use a really... lame analogy, but this, um, you see this nowadays among celebrities sometimes, they will do this thing that comes from Eastern religions, from um, Hinduism, they'll they'll say, Namaste. Any of you guys heard this before? Or if you do yoga, you know, they might bust that out every once in a while. Namaste. And um, I've heard it said that, kind of the paraphrase of what Namaste means is, the divinity in me honors and acknowledges the divinity in you. Now, <clears throat> there's a way where you hear that, and that just sounds totally hokey and new agey, right? But I think that actually as Christians we can have a way of, of understanding that, right? Of saying, okay, it's not that you have some inherent divinity, but you have you're filled with the Holy Spirit, right? And so for us to say the Lord be with you and also with you is a recognition and acknowledgement that God dwells in you, that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the, the purpose and the meaning of that dialogue. So you're not going to hear me start saying namaste. But when I was in Thailand, uh, we would greet one another. Uh, namaste is more of an Indian thing. But in, in Thailand, they would say swarika, and we would, have, we would make this greeting. And it was a similar kind of recognition. It was also just a, a, a show of respect to other people as well. But that's kind of the idea there. Yeah, go ahead, Carl. One
1: of the deans at camp several years ago said it's important for us to hold our heads on Mm. Say, and also with you. Yeah. So it's our gift to you. Very
0: good. I like that. So Carlos um, said, one of the deans at camp encouraged, when you say, and also with you to hold your hands out. And the rubric, one of the stage directions for the pastor is to to bow in gratitude, um, when, as the congregation says, and also with you. So I might do just a little one of these, like, thank you. You know, um, it's receiving that, that blessing. And this isn't just a a nice fancy thing that we throw into the liturgy. This is actually right there in the New Testament. Many, if not most, of Paul's letters, he concludes by saying variations of this. So notice, um, you've got at the bottom of page one there. Philemon 25, the end of the letter of Philemon, concludes, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Again, Galatians 6.18. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. And finally, 2 Timothy 4. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. So it's Paul acknowledging, recognizing the presence of God in the midst of each of these churches. Or as it has it in the, in the book of Revelation, you know, the spirit, the, Jesus is in the midst of the lampstands. It has it in, in the first few chapters of Revelation. Those lampstands, the churches, the Lord is in your midst. The Lord be with you and also with you. Okay? It goes on from there. Number four, the preface acknowledges that heaven and earth are now joined together in Christ. So that this is one of the most ancient parts of the the liturgy. It's known as the Cersum corda, the Latin term, which means lift up your hearts. And we say we lift them to the Lord. The Latin of it is just flat, hearts lifted. (laughs) So lift up your hearts, hearts lifted. Done deal, okay? It's the sense of, okay, yes, God is in our midst, and so we are preparing ourselves, we're readying ourselves, we're lifting up our hearts to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. So this jives with Colossians 3. Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ, and you have, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Or again, Psalm 25. and This is a regular refrain in the Psalms. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Okay? So let me just ask you, when we say that, when we pray that, when we talk about that, how do you picture that? What is? It, what, how do you get yourself in that kind of frame of mind where, okay, we lift them up to the Lord. Let's kind of just unpack that a little bit. What does that actually mean? That's nice flowery language, but in terms of your presence and attention in the service, what does it mean for us to lift our hearts up to the Lord?
1: To be responsive to him.
0: Okay, very good. To be, to be responsive to him. Be, maybe be attentive to him. Good. Other thoughts? Yeah, Esther. To be
1: open. Yeah. In
0: us. To be open. To be open and honest. Here I am, Lord. And actually, that goes well with what we're going to talk about in a minute with the, with the Sanctus. Here am I. Um, but very much so. It's saying, Lord, you see the hearts of all. You know all. Here I am. I lift my heart up to you willingly because I know that you, you see what's in it anyway. Right. Good. Any other thoughts? Pay
1: attention
0: to the pastor. Pay attention to the pastor? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, court. But um, sure. But I mean, only in as much as the pastor is... Sort of like, well, um, one of the, my favorite parts, I think a lot of people's favorite parts at camp in the summer is the uh, um, square dance, right? So in this case, the pastor is kind of like the caller for the, the dance of worship with the Lord. I know, I, you guys know that cheesy analogies is, are my forte. But do you see what I'm saying there? It's like we're being invited to this sacred dance with our Savior. And the pastor's job is simply to say... Come now, gather round. Lift your hearts up to the Lord. No. We will not be doing a country mass. Don't worry. Yes. (laughs) But you kind of get the idea. Or uh, let me give you one more lame one from wrestling. You guys remember this guy? Used to do it before. Maybe he still does it. For wrestling matches or boxing matches. his name? Michael Buffer. Remember this?
1: Let's get ready to rumble. Remember that guy? Yes, okay.
0: Where are you going with it? I'm not quite saying let's get ready to rumble, but the preface are these words beforehand getting us in that mindset, that heart set, if I can put it that way, of preparing us to come to the Lord. Yeah, Psalm, yeah go ahead, Tom. It's like a
1: recommitment to the greatest
0: commandment. Yeah, good. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Very much so. Recognizing at the same time, Lord, I'm here because I haven't kept this great commandment. I'm continuing to strive to do so. And our prayer, will come back to this, but the post-communion prayer, we give thanks uh, for this salutary gift. We pray that you would strengthen us through the same, through this gift of the sacrament, in faith toward you and in fervent love toward one another. So we come to this gift Praying to receive not only forgiveness, but also strength to go out in our Christian vocation in order to share this love of Christ with our neighbor. And indeed, like you said, to love him more, as as much as we are able. Good. Any other thoughts on that preface? Just that first part of it. That first dialogue and exchange. Okay. So then follows what's called the proper preface. Does anybody have... um, Okay, we should pull it. Well... Um, Well, the proper preface is that part um, in the worship. So after there's that dialogue, then we say, It is truly good, right, and salutary, that we should at all times and in all places. Give thanks to you, Holy Lord, Almighty Father, everlasting God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then it's uh, this neat little spot. And maybe you haven't even noticed this before, but the proper preface, the beginning and the end is the same from season to season. But the middle of it... Um, changes. Changes with the season, sometimes even changes with the Sunday. And it emphasizes and accents different um, elements of the season. So, for example, uh, we're about to get into the season of Advent, and you'll listen in the proper preface, it'll talk about John the Baptist, whose way John the Baptist prepared, calling all people to repent and to believe in the Lord. So the proper preface will establish that. Or my favorite one comes from Holy Week, and I'm just... uh, paraphrasing off the top of my head, but it says something like, um, May our Lord, we we who were first overcome by the tree of the garden, may you now by the tree of the cross overcome. It's really beautiful, poetic theology, tying things together. The proper preface does that and sort of brings these things together. But at its most fundamental level, the proper preface, number five on your handout, tells us that in worship, we are not alone. We are not alone. In fact, when we gather together, our worship transcends time and space. You think of Hebrews 12:1, which says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We're gathered together around angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. Uh, it's this beautiful picture. Uh, 2 Kings 6 has a, a picture like this. As um, Elisha is with the man of God, one of his servants. And they're surrounded by all of these armies. And the, the man of God, the servant, is a little bit worried about this. So it says, When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Don't be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Very cool image. Elisha prays that we would have that kind of spiritual sight to recognize we are surrounded. We're not alone. I want to read uh, together this article. This is from a couple of years ago by uh, a, a theologian named Chad Bird. Any of you heard of Chad Bird before? Um, he's going to be coming to camp next summer or for men's, men's retreat next summer. Um, and he wrote this beautiful essay, How a Small Country Congregation Became a, a Mega Church Overnight. No escaping, little one. I'm watching you. You've got a diaper on. Don't worry. <clears throat>
1: um,
0: okay, so I want, I want to read through this together. It's just a beautiful thing, and it really captures the sense of when worship, we're, we're not alone. So this is the story of how a small country church astounded the experts on church growth by becoming a megachurch overnight without even trying. The gravel parking lot around St. John's began to fill early that morning. The shadow from the steeple cast the image of a cross on the western side of the church. Families from miles around climbed out of Fords and Chevrolets to make their way into the sanctuary. The pastor stood by the front door to greet folks. He asked about Aunt Susan's broken hip, the Reynolds' new horse, and how the football game turned out in Sunray the other night. The man of God who shepherded this flock wasn't much to look at. (laughs) He had a bit of a gut, and he laughed too loud, especially at his corny jokes. (laughs) I don't know any pastors like that. (laughs) But they loved the man. He had baptized their children, buried their grandparents, and even preached a decent sermon on occasion. By the time worship was ready to begin, it still hadn't happened, that shocking influx of worshipers that I spoke of. In fact, things looked as ordinary as ordinary could be. The Kirkpatricks, with their five children, squeezed into the next-to-last pew. The spinster organist, Miss Schultz, played softly and hit, well, almost every note. Hymnals were opened to the page where the service would soon begin. At 10.30 sharp, Pastor Baker walked up front and spoke the same words he did at the start of every Sunday service. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And the congregation responded with a hearty, Amen. Then, without any warning, it happened. The floodgates opened. Worshippers streamed in before the congregation had finished saying amen. This rural Texas mini-church was transformed into the mega of mega-churches. Here's how it all went down. Through the stained glass windows and the steeply pitched roof, seraphim swooped down from heavenly perches. Each sported six wings. With two, they covered their faces. And with two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. And around the sanctuary, they chanted one to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The foundations of St. John's quaked at the sound of their voices. The whole church swam with the smoke of incense. But that was only the beginning. Cherubim winged their way down from the heavenly city. Not the cute, chubby, precious moments angels, but manly warriors who stationed themselves like sentinels around the sanctuary. They belted out the words to the hymns, added their amens to the divine words read and preached that day. But the angels weren't alone. With them came saints innumerable, men and women who had fought the good fight, finished the race, and gone on to glory. But here they were, back at St. John's on this Lord's Day. They added their voices to the earthly choir of farmers and ranchers and coaches and teachers who still trod the pathway toward the heavenly Jerusalem. The pews were packed, standing room only in the aisles. Some perched on the rafters and peered down with serene gazes upon the altar. There, wonder of wonders, was a throne. And on that throne stood a lamb, slain yet alive, sacrificed but resurrected. Every face of every worshiper, angelic and human, earthly and heavenly, was fixated upon his face. There they looked upon the countenance of the merciful Almighty. With angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, the people of St. John's lauded and glorified the name of that Lamb, their Lord Jesus, that day. Sacred songs shook the building as the choirs wed their voices. The Lord's Supper was a reunion meal. The folks on earth and the saints in heaven dined on the feast of feasts and the drink that slakes the deepest thirst. It was a day to remember, a day to repeat. The following Sunday would happen again and then again. This tiny rural church would bulge at the seams with worshipers from realms seen and unseen, all mixed together in the adoration of the Lamb whose kingdom is without end. That's how a small country congregation became a megachurch overnight, without even trying. They gathered around the word of Jesus, ate his meal, sang his songs. And Jesus showed up every Sunday with all of heaven along for the ride. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, every week. This is, this is what's happening. This is what's happening in our little church in ways that we can't even tell. Heaven is filling the sanctuary. Angels and archangels. We are not alone. Just a beautiful, wonderful, wonderful picture. And um, I mean, some of you uh, think about this too, especially when we get to the Sanctuary. We'll talk about this in, in just a moment. You know,. Um, Hearing that, and, and Pat Leagy would do this when she was playing the, um, the organ this summer, when we get to that point with angels and archangels, and, and she would play the, the bells, the special little chimes, as just that kind of reminder and um, you know, invoking, remembering the, the memory of all those saints who have gone before us, who are gathered together with us at the supper. Oh, it's awesome. It's powerful. It's so neat. Uh, there was uh, a few years ago, there was a family... Um, who had lost a loved one. And often the case, I don't know, I just came to expect this, we would have the funeral on Saturday, and you wouldn't see the family on Sunday because they would just feel like, you know, they don't want everybody you know, looking at them, talking to them. You just kind of want to lay low. And I get that, and I respect that. But in this particular case, the next day, everybody was there. It seemed like everyone that was at the funeral showed up for the next day. I was really surprised. I mean, pleasantly surprised. I said, hey, it's so, so good to see you. I'm glad that you guys are here in worship. And they said, how could we miss the first opportunity to share communion with our loved one who's now in heaven? Now who's gathered together at the table. Man, that's it. Very spot on. Thoughts or reflections about this article or uh, about all that? It's a powerful testimony and a beautiful picture of what's what's happening here. All right, go ahead and turn to page uh, three on your handout then. And we're going to move then to that next part, which is called the Sanctus. And Sanctus is just your fancy Latin word that means holy, okay? And uh, this is where we sing,
1: Holy, 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 Lord God of Sabaeum, heaven and earth are full of thy glory. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest Blessed is he, blessed is he Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest
0: You've heard me say it before, but I'll say it again. It happens almost every time when I'm visiting our homebound folks, visiting folks in the hospital. I'll sing this together with them and celebrating the sacrament. And just about every time, they come right in and sing a long sign. These words get, we learn them by heart. It's a beautiful thing. But let's unpack it a little bit, okay? Because you might be singing it and you know it, but maybe you don't stop to think about, okay, what are we saying with this? So number six on your handout Evoking Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah's experience, the Sanctus first emphasizes God's transcendence, his transcendence. So there's a lot of different ways to define the word holy, but one way to understand that holiness of God is that he is holy other, that he is set apart, that he's perfect, that he's in the heavens, that he is unstained, unspotted by any sin, And therefore, um, this sense of God's holiness and the singing it emphasizes his transcendence, that he is the creator. He is far above and far apart, us small, frail creatures. And this was Isaiah's experience. So take a look here, the text from Isaiah 6, where the the first part of the Sanctus comes from. says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I, talking about Isaiah, saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Now this text is so beautifully woven into the liturgy. And in fact, the Sanctus was part of the Jewish liturgy even before the time of Jesus. So in the, in the synagogue, for those who went to synagogue on the Sabbath day, as part of their worship, it was not uncommon that they would be singing this song, the Sanctus, the Holy, 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 not necessarily with the same tune that we sing it, right? But that same song. In fact, Jesus himself probably would have been singing the Sanctus in the liturgies. Fascinating to think about, right? But it comes out of this text from Isaiah 6 and the vision that Isaiah has of the Lord, the king, high and lifted up. Here, the God, God is holy; other. He is the Lord God of hosts. You think, he's the Lord God of the guy who takes me to my seat at the restaurant? Like, what does that mean? That's a, kind of a weird designation. <clears throat> but the, the Hebrew word there, you guys know it already, we sang it just a moment ago, is sabayoth. And you've probably heard that and thought, that's just a misspelling of Sabbath or something like that. Um, but it's actually, it's a separate word. Sabaoth means hosts, um, which is a fancy word for kind of your angel armies. So all of the, the armies of angels are the hosts, the sabaoth, And so to call him the Lord of hosts, this is a picture of God as the, the man of war. As the um, angelic, the heavenly divine commander in chief. See? With God commanding all of his angels, army upon army, rank upon rank, gathered together. Like uh, uh, Chad Bird said in that article, this isn't your precious moments, chubby little angel flying in, okay? This is, this is the, the heavenly armies gathered together. And this is why, I mean, so often in the scriptures, when people see angels, what's their first reaction? Fear. Terror, abject fear, right? They were sore afraid. Um, it's because these are angel armies coming around. Woo! It emphasizes that transcendence of God. But notice how already in that text from Isaiah, it's pointing forward to the Lord's Supper. Did you catch that? Because Isaiah says, whoa, is me.
1: <laughs> whoa
0: is me. And then the angel come, comes and takes a uh, with tong- having in his hand a burning coal that he'd taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, your sin is atoned for. See how it's already kind of anticipating and foreshadowing the gift of the Lord's Supper, right? Where you're going to receive not a burning coal to touch your lips, but the body and blood of Christ <clears throat> to touch and press against your lips to remind you, your guilt is forgiven, your sin is atoned for. So all of this is kind of wrapped up just in these few words, this little song that we sing week by week is putting us beside Isaiah with this vision of the Lord high and lifted up. And then number seven on on your handout, it goes even further to say, the Sanctus envisions a creation charged with God's grandeur. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. The creation itself is filled with God's glory. It's not just something up in heaven, but it's something that now has come down on earth through Christ and by the power of the Spirit until finally we look forward to that day when Jesus comes again and all creation will be redeemed and renewed. Notice this text from, from Romans 8. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The creation itself, the physical cosmos, is going to be renewed. I've preached on this before, but if your vision of heaven just involves us without feet floating around on clouds playing harps, It is too small. It is insufficient. First of all, I mean, nobody wants to say this, but you've always thought it in your heart. I'm not really, like, looking forward to that. You know, like, I'd much rather have a Thanksgiving dinner than float around on clouds. How is that heaven? I have good news for you. The actual vision of the new creation, and this is the way that the scripture talks. We just, you know, we usually just talk about heaven and we get that, you know, conjures that image in our minds. Scripture speaks of a new creation, or better put, a renewed creation. See, God is going to come and take this creation, which is, is old and worn out and broken and frail with sin. He's going to take it like you, you, you take the, the welcome mat to your house and shake it out, right? He's going to shake out all the sin and brokenness and sorrow, all of those things, shake that out and renew this creation, which in the beginning, when he made it, he said, it is good, it is good, it is very good. He's not looking at it now and saying, it's bad, it's bad, it's very bad, I'm just going to pitch it. He's saying, now I'm going to redeem it and renew it. Already, that's happened in principle through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Already, it's springing up in our midst through the power of the Holy Spirit, as God is renewing people, we are being reborn through the Spirit. But a day is coming when Jesus returns and the whole physical creation, which now is groaning as it awaits liberation, the whole physical creation will be renewed. Now, why do I bring all that? Okay, Pastor, that's an interesting digression. Because there, we're already anticipating that heaven and earth are full of your glory. The poet Gerard Manley Hopkins has this this lovely poem, God's Grandeur, the first line of which says, the world is charged with the grandeur of God. Have you heard this poem before? I ought to have just printed the whole thing, but um, look that up later. Just a lovely little um, sonnet. The world is charged with the grandeur of God. It will flame out, um, but he has this picture of how things have gone down, but then they're yet to be redeemed. So In the context, in the center of the worship service, we already have this sense of the the redeeming. All right, let me pause there for a second and just your thoughts or reflections. Is that something, that vision of kind of all creation being renewed, is that something that is familiar to you? Or is that a new thing um, in terms of your picture of what we're awaiting in the future? I mean, were you someone who always kind of had that picture of, oh, I just thought it was going to be the, the clouds and the harp thing? Or have, do you have this kind of full-bodied sense of our, our hope? It's the resurrection of the body, after all. But
1: the sense of all the martyrs gathered around the throne. Yeah, right.
0: You, I mean, get that picture in Revelation. All the martyrs gathered around the throne. How long, oh Lord? And then, at the end of Revelation, in Revelation 21, it pictures the new Jerusalem Okay, and the direction that that new creation is going. Why don't we just turn there? You've got Bibles. It's Bible study, after all. Um, (laughs) Revelation 21. This is an easy one to find, y'all. Just open like the back of the Bible and turn a couple pages to the left. (laughs) So Revelation 21, starting with verse one, says this, John's vision here. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. The sea, going back to the Old Testament, was uh, um, this image of the abyss. And so when, when John says he, the sea was no more, he doesn't literally mean there's no more water. He's speaking metaphorically, like that source of abyss and chaos has passed away. And then verse two, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned, I am making all things new. So what was, what's the direction there? <coughs> well, you know, when we talk about this new creation, what, what move, is it us flying up into heaven into the clouds? No. It's God coming down to redeem and renew this creation. And we even, I mean we say this, this is again and again in the scriptures. Um, you go all the way back to Exodus. God hears the groaning of His people and he did what? He came down. It's there in the creed, who for us men and for our salvation came down. And then finally in the new creation, Jesus is going to come down and with him this new creation in his train. See, If, if we have this picture where it's all about you know, flying up into heaven, that's, it's missing it. It's this world being renewed and restored to way that, the way that it was originally supposed to be. Okay, Esther, you had your hand up.
1: Yeah, Second um, Peter chapter three verse ten Yes. has a little different. I, I don't. It talks about the heavenly bodies will be mm-hmm. burned up and dissolved in the earth, and the works that are done will be exposed. And right. It talks about the heaven and earth will pass away with a world. Earth. I don't know. Yeah.
0: Right. So, so um, good. No. Let's yeah. thank you for bringing that in. So this, uh, Esther's referring to 2 Peter chapter 3 and it gives this image of, you know, of this fire and things passing away. And then it says, uh, let's see, verse... Um, where am I looking at? But, uh, where it says, but we are awaiting a new heavens and a new earth wherein righteousness dwells. Oh, there it is. Um, yeah, verse 2 Peter three thirteen. According to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So you have this picture of, of this kind of Purging fire coming from the Lord. In, in which, I mean, this goes back to John the Baptist as well. This fire that is coming in order to um, burn away the chaff. Okay, 1 Corinthians 3 gives this image as well. So that the, the stubble of sin is going to be burned away. But just as there can be like a controlled burn. Um, ben, you could tell us more about this, right? You do a controlled burn and out of that it brings forth new life too, doesn't it? And it paves the way for new life. This is kind of the picture, the, the the sort of heavenly controlled burn, on the creation, so that now it's been purged and purified. It's a purifying fire, so that the new creation is able to spring forth. I think that's the best way to understand that. Second Peter um, gets into those. Some of those texts are difficult to understand exactly what he's saying, but that's how I how I understand that, how I grasp that.
1: Mm-hmm. Whereas in Corinthians, Paul talks about the, the, the good works will be burned up. Did
0: exactly. The... Yep. That's 1 Corinthians 3. So yes. if anybody has built with wood and hay, it will burn. But what's going to stay is what's been founded on Christ. Yep. Right. That's right. Very good. So this is what we're looking forward to. And Jesus himself says it. He says, Behold, I am making what? All things, all new. things new. Said it before. I'll say it again. He doesn't say, I will make all new things. He says, I'll make all things new. He comes in order to renew and redeem and restore so that the world that was in the beginning very good shall be very good again. All right, that was a little bit of an aside, but this is when we have this vision from the Sanctus, heaven and earth are full of your glory. It's catching us up into that picture of God renewing and redeeming all things. All right, back page. A few minutes to go here. So number eight on, on your handout. Um, so first there's the what we call the Sanctus, the holy, holy, holy. Then the, the second half of that song is called the Benedictus, which again, just Latin for blessed.
1: Mm-hmm. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he, blessed is he, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest.
0: And that comes from the Gospels, right? This is Jesus' triumphal entry. So number eight, evoking Jesus' triumphal entry, this benedictus emphasizes God's imminence. Just a fancy term for saying God among us. So we've got this picture of his holiness, holy, 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 Lord God of Sabaoth, but then it's wedded with this image of Christ coming to us. Even as in the triumphal entry, he came among the people as the king and the the children sang out, right? And say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey. It says, and the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So now the king is coming into our very midst. The first part of the song puts us beside the prophet Isaiah. We say, whoa. The second part puts us beside the crowds. Now seeing our lowly king Jesus humbly coming to dwell among us and within us. St. Augustine has this lovely quote in his Confessions, praying to the Lord. He says, you were more inward to me than my most inward part and higher than my highest. God is both more transcendent and more imminent. He's both further away and closer than anyone or anything else in all creation. Then finally, last point then, number nine. The Benedictus places us in the real presence of the King. Notice we say these words at this point just as we're about to receive the Lord's Supper. So to sing this and to Uh, be placed back in that spot of the triumphal entry, we're we're saying now the king is coming to us in the humble forms of bread and wine. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it's interesting, it's telling that um, for other Christian traditions that don't uh, share our belief um, in what's called the real presence, that Jesus is actually in with and under the bread and wine, Um, they dropped this part of the liturgy. So they would keep the first part of the Sanctus, the holy, 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 but they would leave out the Benedictus. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Because implied with that is a belief in the real presence, that Jesus is actually here. This isn't just a symbolic memorial meal. The king is actually coming into our midst. And so we bow before him to receive his gifts. That's too quick through the the Sanctus and the Benedictus, but questions or, or, or comments about that? All of this, all of this is, I mean, this whole liturgy, it's not, strictly speaking, it's not necessary for us to receive the Lord's Supper. But it's sort of like, you know, we started talking about Thanksgiving meals. For, for many of you, at your Thanksgiving meal, are you going to bring out the fine china or are you going to use styrofoam plates?
1: Okay. Or paper, sorry.
0: Styrofoam's illegal in some places, though. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're probably going to use the, the finer stuff. Although now they make really nice plastic stuff for like wine. And so tempted to do that. But why do we do that? Because there's it's something special here. And the things that we use, um, you know, those, the plates and the glasses and all of those things, adorn and help to emphasize that this meal is special. And all of these elements of the liturgy, the preface, the proper preface, the sanctus, these other things, they don't need to be there the heart of the matter is Jesus' body and blood, the bread and the wine. We could do it very simply, okay? But it's like it's that table setting. See, it's emphasizing this is a special, set apart meal. Or again, you know, a, you have a, a nice diamond ring. You don't just slap it onto some plastic thing that you got out of one of those machines at the Chuck E. Cheese. Right? You want there to be a nice setting, Josh. You paying attention here? So um, you want there to be a nice setting for the diamond of the supper. You with me? Good. Okay. Next week, we're going to do something a little bit different. I mentioned this um, this previous week, but next week, we're going to go back to those surveys that we had you guys fill out and just kind of walk through that and have uh, and talk about that a little bit, what we learned from that, and um, kind of the way forward for us as a congregation as we're seeking to serve our community and, and be the heart of Arcadia here. So we'll take a break from Lutheran worship for a week, talk about some congregational stuff, and we'll get back at this in a couple of weeks. So hope to see you then. God bless.